went down to the outposts of the camp. The Midianites, the Amalekites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valleys thick as locusts. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend in his dream, I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon! Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and they broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon! While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the three hundred trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shittah near Zerorah, as far as the border of Abel Meholah, near Tabith. Israelites from Naphtali, Asher, and all Manasseh were called out, and they pursued the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they took the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite leaders, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb and Zeb at the winepress of Zeb. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon, who was by the Jordan. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we look at this exciting story of your power at work through Gideon and 300 men defeating a vast multitude, Lord, we know that your word is true and accurate in every respect. And so we rejoice in knowing that this is not a story meant to give us courage, but instead this is a true account of live action in the life of Gideon, the people of Israel, and in the lives of the Midianites and the Amalekites and all of the eastern people. And so, Lord, we want our hearts to be quickened through this story. But this message, as we look at Gideon and his men, in this time in history, Lord, that this message would come alive in our hearts and in this time in history, that we would live for you and that we would be bold, knowing that with your power, any multitude can be defeated because you are all-powerful. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Now, as we continue the fourth in a series looking at the life of Gideon from his perspective, I think that one of the things that we have to do before continuing this is to realize there's a caution any time that we go to God's Word, and particularly when we go to God's Word to look at it, as I've been looking at it with you over the last um, three messages and, and this message as well. In, in attempting to um, recount this story from the perspective of Gideon, what happens is we have to get into Gideon's mind, try to figure out from the account that we are given in Scripture what was going on there, what perhaps he was thinking, what the people were thinking, how things happened that aren't explicitly laid out, and all of that. There's a lot of fiction that is written in this sort of genre, in this sort of vein. In other words, uh, the story of Ruth, fictionalized, or the story of Samuel, fictionalized, the story of David, fictionalized. And it's important, it's crucial for us to realize when we come to those things. First off, from my standpoint, in, in attempting to portray this story from Gideon's perspective, that any speculation has to be very carefully contained. Because what happens when we hear fictionalized accounts of Scripture is oftentimes it's the details that aren't scriptural details that stick in our minds. You and I have to be careful when we see fictionalized accounts of Scripture. Because Scripture is accurate, fictionalized accounts are not accurate. They are only accurate insofar as they are faithful to God's Word. Everything else is trying to consider how things worked. Now you say, having said all that, why think about things from the standpoint of Gideon? The reason for this is because as we look at this and try maybe to flesh in some of the details that are alluded to, we start thinking about it and perhaps have a better way of looking at Gideon as a real person. He's not just someone who we read these things about in Scripture. He was a real man who went through real struggles, who had a mighty victory by God's power. And so I think that is the benefit. As long as we are aware in going into this, that there are details, minor details throughout, that are not given in Scripture. And that is why we always have to go back to Scripture, start with Scripture, end with Scripture. Scripture is our account. So when you hear an account like this or read an account in a book... Do not memorize all the details. (laughs) Scripture is what we memorize, not fiction. Having said that, let's look at this from the perspective of Gideon. You know, I guess at this point I change hats. (laughs) You know, waiting for the beginning of a war or of a battle is a deadly business. There's only one solution. And that is, get on with it. Get on with it, get it started. I had a big case of the jitters that night, the night of our attack upon the Midianites. Because being a commander, you realize in my hometown, in my father's house and all that, I had servants and people that were responsible to me and all that. Nowhere near the number of 300, nowhere near the responsibility that I bore at this point in time. And the costs, 
The possible outcomes were nowhere as intense as the outcome of what was going to happen next. Going up against such a huge force was, of course, completely overwhelming. Knowing that I was the one who would have to set and approve and establish and give out, order and direct the battle plan was frightening. And bearing the responsibility for the lives of even 300 men was extremely worrisome. Now, if you have read the account of my life, you realize that the Lord did a lot of hand-holding with me throughout the way. There was a lot of hand-holding of me from the Lord in this experience. But this night before the beginning of battle was the last point before action, so it was the final hand-holding. And you can imagine my grip. If he and I had literally been holding hands, my grip that night was white-knuckled. It was intense. I was geared up. Very frightened. When we moved on from here, it was all going to be action. No time to think. To stop and think, shall we say. So once I got over this hurdle, all of the jitters in the world weren't going to stop me. It would be fight for your life. Attack, defend, keeping on the move one way or the other. And as we were waiting throughout the night, the word of the Lord came to me in the midst of all my questions, self-doubts, fears, and worries. And this is what he said. Get up. Go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to, to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterwards, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. Now, I like the way the Lord put it there. He said, get up, go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. He didn't start out saying, since you're worried, why don't you head down there and I'll show you this. He was gracious to me and said, if you're bold enough to do it, go right ahead. I'm behind you. And I will ensure the victory. Then he went on and said, If you're afraid to attack, take plan B. Either way, you'll follow the same course and the same outcome will happen. What a blessing it is to know that the Lord understands your heart. I don't know if you've ever had an experience in which you've been struggling at sharing something, for instance, with a friend. Perhaps sharing a weakness, a difficulty, and your friend won't let you finish expressing what you're trying to say. Instead, speaks out, and what he or she says to you at that point has read you completely wrong. Say you're about to tell him that you're really struggling in your marriage, with your kids, or at work, and that you desperately need help. And he hurries into the conversation before you're done, covering everything over, telling you, oh, I've had the same difficulties. I'm sure everything is going to work out just fine. To me, that sort of thing just is not helpful. If I've started to tell someone where I'm struggling, I want to finish. To let this person, this friend, know so that he can be concerned for me. So that he can understand what I'm really struggling with. So that he can pray for me so that he can help me. 
But at the very least, so that he can show that he has enough concern to me to hear my concern out. What I don't need is some false encouragement. Some, oh, you're going to be all right, Gideon. Everything is going to work out. It's a difficult time, but in the end, everything will be all right. Particularly when a person has not, a friend has not been gracious enough to hear me out to the end of my problems. Well, the joy of life in the hands of the Lord is that you don't ever have to wonder, has he heard me out? Has he listened to me? Does he understand? Because he knows your heart and he knows where you're weak. But even more than that, as I witnessed and experienced so many numerous times, he cares enough to give the very answer that will meet your need. He doesn't give a superficial answer. Instead, he reaches down from heaven and he touches that very problem. He speaks to that very problem. He answers that very problem. For me that night, the problem really wasn't that, although as I was lying there and running all these things through my mind, the problem really wasn't that I needed a battle plan. The problem wasn't that I needed to get a good night's sleep rather than tossing and turning. The problem wasn't that I didn't have enough men. The problem wasn't that I needed more leadership training. The problem wasn't anything else either. The Lord who saw it to the very depths of my heart knew that what I needed more than anything else, regardless of what I might have said, regardless of what I might have shared with Pura, my servant, or any other close friend, was that I needed courage. I needed strength. And I remember in thinking back, as I look back on this time, the way in which God was gracious in the same way to Joshua. When Moses had died and he was to take the people over into the promised land, the Lord said to him, Be strong and be of good courage. Do not fear. And he told him this not once, but at least three times. Be strong and be of good courage. Do not fear. That was my need that night. And in the same way, God answered me. Since that time, I've used the lessons of this night as a landmark to look back to and to point other people to for my faith in the Lord. Whenever I've had worries, fears, or concerns that I have taken to Him, I remember that night when things were darkest, scariest, most worrisome, He provided the answer. The answer was there, and it was given by Him. Now, as I look back from this time back to that time, I realize as well that there have been few times in my life when He has answered my needs in so obvious, so quick, and so visible a way as He did that night. Because His answer was immediate, His answer was complete, and His answer was clear. Sometimes it takes a long time for me to find His answer for my situation, for my difficulty. Sometimes I never see His answer. Other times I look back on a time of darkness, and I can see in looking back, in hindsight, that He had provided the answer, but at that time I was too blind and too concerned with the need to be able to find the answer in the midst of the darkness. 
But this landmark night reminds me when I am in darkness that the Lord is there and He has me in His hand. It reminds me that He is able to evaluate and assess and determine my needs even better than I am able to myself. When you're churning, when you're uneasy, when you have a million things running through your minds, when you have things that you have to do and things that you have to decide and people that you have to talk to and challenges that you are facing and obstacles that you must jump over. It is often difficult to sort through all of those and say, this is the problem at the root. This is my need. And I look back at this time and I say, I may have a million problems, a million needs, but the Lord is the one who is able to get to the very root and say, this will satisfy you. This will resolve the difficulty. It reminds me also, as I look back, that He supplies all of my needs. And it's been more difficult since that time, frequently. He supplies all of my needs in His way at the right time. Now that night, it had to be that night. That's when he did it. At other times, it has not been the night of the problem. It's been later. In supplying all of my needs in his timing, he has enabled me to carry on with the work that he's given me. So then during those times when I've been unable to continue, despite my best efforts, I've had to look back at this time And see that when the Lord wants it done because it's His work, He provides the means. Now the flip side of that, of course, is that if the means are not there, that I have to assess the whole situation and say, is this the Lord's work? Or is it my idea of, shall we say, a good time? He provides the means both internally and spiritually, as He did in giving me courage this night, and physically, as he gave me 300 men to stand up with me, as he gave us the trumpets, the jars, the torches, the swords, those implements and those weapons that we needed for this battle. So getting back to it, when he gave me that message, I didn't hesitate. I got up and I got pure, and we headed down to that Midianite camp because I knew of choice A and choice B, I was more ready to take choice B than choice A. He said, go down and attack and I'll give the victory toward you. Or if you're afraid, then go down and listen to a message that I'll let you hear down there. I said, yeah, choice B is for me. And so we headed down there. We snuck down to their camp as best we could. And we wound up situated near some tents that were like all the rest, except for those tents in the center that were obviously the leader's tents. The tents were so quiet. And there were so many of them. They were everywhere. There were too many to count. In the darkness, you could make out their camels resting for the night. So many that we could just about have taken them and given one to every Israelite man. And this was their army. Just as we got to a spot at the outpost of the camp, where we could hide yet observe... There was a rustling in the tent nearest to us, and we crouched, ready to flee, worrying that someone had overheard us sneaking up or was about ready to come outside and would find us. 
<coughs> but instead we heard the rustling continue and man started to speak saying to his tent mate <coughs> I had a dream a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed the posts went out the ropes went out the tent was as flat as a pancake now that seemed like a pretty innocuous comment from one tent mate to make the, the other the kind of nighttime talk you'd expect to hear in a camp of an army <clears throat> and I was worrying about catching the Lord's sign hearing his message down there wondering of course now what kind of a message is this barley loaves and tents collapsing what are we supposed to do go down and cut all their tent cords and when their tents collapse <laughs> jump up and down on them well that's not quite a complete message as far as I was concerned and then his friend responded this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon son of Joash the Israelite God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. Now, Pura and I, as you can imagine, were at that point riveted to the spot. Can you believe what you just heard, Pura? Can I believe what I just heard? We hadn't expected anything of that nighttime exchange of small talk between friends. One man sharing his meaningless dream until the Lord spoke through his friend showing that the dream was not meaningless showing us that the Midianites had been given over to the fear of the Lord the fear of our army under my command barley loaf we might be we were certainly nothing fancy we were simple workers we the Israelites the poorest among the nations and yet our plain cheap barley loaf had bowled into the chief's tents flattened it to the ground and both these Midianites had seen the power of the Lord working through me and our meager army <laughs> that is the kind of message you want to hear when you're afraid <clears throat> I was overwhelmed at that point by the goodness of my Lord I bowed down and praised to him right there now you ask when you have an army of 300 and you're going against an army of 120,000 what is more important than attacking? What is more important than the battle? What is more important than the victory? And I answer you, what I did right then was more important than anything in life. And that was worship of the Lord. There is nothing more important than worshiping the Lord. Not getting on with the job, not carrying out what the Lord has told you to do. When it is time to worship, it is time to worship. And so I bowed down and praised to the Lord right there, thanking Him and praising Him for the victory that He was delivering unto our army and to me. For His graciousness towards me, that He would even think of using me. Put yourself in my shoes the awesome wonder of the fact that he would even think of using me a man who was constantly plagued with worries and doubts and fears that I was experiencing the Lord's favor firsthand, and I was being humbled before him 
I cannot imagine what it would be like not to know the Lord and thus to miss the wonder and the bliss of praising Him because you have experienced His blessing personally. Do you know what it is like to be blessed by your friend? To be encouraged, to be praised by someone who is special to you? It's a joy, isn't it? There is nothing then to compare with how much greater than all things it is to be blessed by the one who created all things. My creator, your creator. And to know that and to worship as a result of that is the greatest joy possible. In praising Him because of your experience of His personal blessing, there is peace, there is strength, there is a deep sense of personal unworthiness which is buoyed up by knowing that even though I am unworthy, He has chosen to forgive me and to make me worthy before Him. The only thing Pura and I lacked as we were out there outside his tent was the opportunity to raise our voices in shouting, Hallelujah! Singing praises. The silence is one of the most blessed ways of worshiping the Lord as you contemplate in your heart and your mind your thankfulness to Him and His awesome power. Now I know that to some people this may seem a little incomprehensible. But if you've experienced the joy of worshiping the Lord, but truly lifting your heart and your mind to Him in praise, into honest and sincere thankfulness for His goodness and graciousness in your life, then I don't really have to explain it to you. Because you understand it. Those who don't worship God and praise Him either don't know Him, or they lack gratitude and have forgotten all that he's ever done for them. I cannot understand how anyone could claim that God was their Lord and neglect worship. This is above all else a sign of our understanding of who he is. This is something that we as his people are to be doing as I did it outside that tent with my servant. This is something that we are to be spending our lives here if we belong to Him doing. Because it's practice. It's experience for what the life after this life is supposed to be all about. When we are in His presence and always forever praising Him and glorifying Him and worshiping Him. How could we not practice doing that one thing that we will be doing forever? How could we fail to practice it? If we truly understand that He is God Almighty. Now, if we don't think of Him as God Almighty, it's easy to understand. Because if you have a view of a small God, then things happen because of luck. Things happen because of the good of your family and your friends and your neighbors and your community and your government. And you can thank them. But when you realize that God has His hands on all things and controls all things, turning even those bad things, as I was afraid of this army of 120,000, turning even those bad things into good for His people, then you realize that praise and worship has to come from us for everything on a constant basis. Pura and I 
as I change gears, return quickly to our camp, following worship. And we aroused the men with urgency as I called out, Get up! We should have perhaps used those trumpets if it had been a time when there wasn't the enemy right next door. But I called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. For we had heard the proof. The rest of that night and the next few days are a blur for me. But it was clear as I aroused the small army what we were to do as we heard that the Spirit of the Lord had put such fear of us into our enemy. I commanded the men to take their trumpets, to take their empty jars, to take the torches, to place their torches inside the jars, to divide into three groups so that we could surround the enemy encampment and then commanded them to do as I did, following my example completely. Watch me, I said. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon! Well, you'd make a good group, but let's hear that. For the Lord and for Gideon! For the Lord and for Gideon! Well, that's uh, that's okay, but <laughs> nothing compared to those 300 men. You can imagine they belted it out. They were helped a little bit by opening their windpipes with those trumpets. For the Lord and for Gideon! 300 men can make quite a noise. You ask me how I came up with this plan. Seems like a great plan, doesn't it? Does it? Do you think it sounds like a good plan? What do you think? Well, if you think it sounds like a good plan, that's because you read it and you found out it worked. <laughs> it turned out to be a great plan, didn't it? You ask me, how did I come up with this plan? How did I come up with this plan that worked? And what I would point you back to again is that God is not just the one who waters the vine so that the grapes grow. God is not just the one who puts the soil down and allows the roots to grow deep down into the soil so that they can pull up the water and pull up the nutrients so that the olives will grow. God is the one who plants the ideas in the minds of men. And so as you face difficult challenges or decisions, choices that must be made, maybe you have work that requires you to think constantly, to come up with new ways of doing things, to come up with ways like this that will succeed and will accomplish what you must accomplish. Remember that God is the one who plants ideas in the minds of men. Even as He planted this idea in my mind and brought it through to victory, that being the other side, even as He plants ideas in the minds of men, for His people, He is the one who also blesses those ideas with success so that they work. So that they work. From there on out, as I said before, things move quickly. I was confident that the Lord would use our plans to accomplish the victory, and He did. We broke those pitchers, we blew those trumpets, we shouted our heads off. And those people down in that camp 
went crazy. They woke up in the middle of the night, disoriented, afraid. They started to run. And what it says about this account, about this story, about this thing that happened, we can only but affirm, which is this. The Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. So it wasn't 300 against 120,000. It was 120,000 against 120,000. Fighting each other. Killing each other. And because God had taken our number down to 300, we could do nothing but say, it's His victory. It's His victory. I couldn't say, I accomplished this. See what I did. Because I didn't do it. Evidence throughout. God did it. Not I. I was honored to be the Lord's instrument and I sought to be worthy of leading these men as a servant of the Lord. But when all was said and done, all that we could say or do was what a mighty God we serve and how amazing that He should choose to act on our behalf. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as we look at the life of Gideon and realize the way in which you blessed him and his men and accomplished your victory through them. We ask that you would do the same for us. That you would cause us to be strengthened in you. To see your answers to our prayers and meeting our needs. That you would give us fruitfulness in all we do. That our minds would be full of ideas that come from you. That we would have wisdom in all that we do. And that you would bless all of the work of our hands, even as you did that of Gideon and his army. In Jesus' name, amen.